This is First You Hustle, a podcast from the Columbus College of Art and Design meant to help students and budding creative professionals put their expertise to use. Network, network, network. You hear it all the time, but what about the quality of your network? What does building and maintaining a good, solid network actually do for you besides give you some leads on jobs? Well, for one, it helps you build some skills that employers are desiring more than ever. You know, we talked to lots of employers, they're all saying the same thing, which is that's what's missing. You know, they can go to any school and find talent, but what they're having a hard time finding is that talented employee that's also able to understand the business, that's able to network within the business, that's able to collaborate within the business. You know, those are the things that are missing kind of in the college curriculum. That is today's guest. This is Tom Gaddis. I am the Dean of the School of Design at the Columbus College of Art and Design. And we dive into Tom's career and why it wouldn't look anything like it does without his network. You have to go about it genuinely, right? It, it isn't a house of cards. If you try to use it that way, it's going to backfire on you. And there's lots of stories about how that's happened. You know, I think that the other way I try to look at it is that it's, it's a long game. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. How to build a network and then how to use that network is all coming up ahead on First You Hustle. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Jordan Bell. We're back for a new semester. Today we are talking about using a network. We have past episodes on networking and this one certainly builds on that. So make sure you go back and listen to some of those for more tips on where to find network connections and how to organize your contacts. But let's say we've successfully drilled into your head the notion that you need a network. Then what? What do you actually do with your network? How do you leverage it and for what purpose? In my interview with Tom Gaddis, Dean of the School of Design Arts at the Columbus College of Art and Design, we discuss how, yes, the network helps you get jobs, but then after the jobs come, how it continues to help you find the next project or venture. In the world of design, collaboration is of the highest necessity, and collaboration often comes exclusively from a network. So we're looking long-term in this episode, building a network and then visioning the benefits it will bring for a lifelong career. Through our discussion, you'll learn about how our guests found themselves in their current position and has built an organization that will continue to foster networking for the next generation of designers. And he built that from his network. It's kind of meta, using your network to build a network for networking. I didn't mean to go all inception on you there, so I'll let Tom tell us about it. Here's our interview. I spent 10 years uh, after undergraduate school in industry, a variety of, of design jobs from uh, designing nuclear plant interiors, not as exciting as it sounds, to trade show exhibits. Uh, I worked for a while for a, a product design consulting firm. I was a professional model maker for a little bit, uh, but was kind of dissatisfied. Uh, I'd moved into kind of a management role and wasn't really being creative any longer. Um, and was trying to do something else. Uh, so decided to go back to school to get a graduate degree. At the time, I didn't really know I wanted to teach. I just knew I needed to do something differently. Graduate school was a bit eye-opening. So after our first semester there, my, my wife and I were in grad school together. They asked to look at our portfolios. They looked at our portfolios and said, oh, you have skills. We're going to give you classes to teach. So you're going to be teaching assistants. And that first class, I was supposed to co-teach this class with uh, Dr. Kermit Anderson, he showed up for the first class and said, ah, you got this. And so I taught my first 
college class as a grad student, no earthly idea what I was doing, but somehow there was a bug, you know, a seed planted that, oh, wow, I really enjoyed this. Um, and that kind of started the path uh, towards education. So uh, went back to industry a little bit after grad school, but then rather quickly ended up in uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan to teach my first classes at a small private school at the time called Suomi College. So Suomi in Finnish is motherland. That, you know, was just this delightful experience. Uh, we were there three years. After the second year, uh, Savannah College of Art and Design reached out and, uh, and ended up in Savannah in 1999. Was it Savannah 13 years? 11 of those in Savannah and two of those in Hong Kong. Uh, so I, I moved to Hong Kong to open their first international campus. I was the head academic for that campus, which was a wonderful experience. Living in Hong Kong, very international city, lots of experiences and exposure you know, to all kinds of food and culture. And, um, you know, we really loved living there. Uh, went back to Savannah for a year and then uh, got the call from our provost at the time here. Uh, who I'd worked with in Savannah uh, to come here and, and take over the dean's position. Uh, so that's how I got here. How have connections been a theme in your career? How has that come to like help you find the next thing? I mean, every job I've gotten is because of my network. I went to school with Greg Tooney, the chair of the ID program here. He got me the job at the consulting firm in Charlotte, North Carolina. He was working there at the time. I made a phone call. Let me get you in. You know, that's how it worked. When I came to, to CCAD, the provost who was here at the time was a former colleague in Savannah. He called me and, you know, my network working for me. Every professional job, for the most part, happened the same way. Somebody in my network had a connection, got my foot in the door, made an introduction. Um, you know, I, I can't stress enough how important building that network early and often is um, because, you know, that's the way it happens for the most part. I actually, doing a little bit of research to get prepared for this, read something that 70% of jobs are filled because you have a contact. Mm -hmm. uh, only 30% of them are coming from the one ads or the monsters.com or Indeeds or whatever you're using. Mm -hmm. That's significant. When I've needed to hire talent, that's the way I do it. Oftentimes, it's let me reach out to my network and see who I know or see who my network knows that might fill this position for us. So. Building a network is one thing. It's easy to find people and meet them. But maintaining a network, especially over months or years, is often tricky. So Tom and I talked about maintaining a network. That's probably the hardest part of your network is maintaining the maintenance of the keeping in contact with, uh, keeping your name in front of people that may have some influence later. Um, you know, we, we deploy our network for all kinds of things. So I'm, I'm connected that way. I use LinkedIn a lot. Um, you know, I have probably, I don't know, four or 5,000 connections in LinkedIn. Now, some of those I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Some of those are connected to me via my network or I connected to them via my network uh, that I don't really know, but somehow they're interesting or they, you know, have something that said, yes, I'll connect or I want to connect. But I think the follow-up with that, it becomes really important. So I often will, you know, hey, I want to connect with you and I'll send a note back. Thanks for connecting. You know, sometimes it's that simple. Just the other day, so I have a side hustle called Ether Global Learning. And, and one of the things we do is put on camps. And uh, my partner was presenting at a conference of career professionals and employers. And so he's given a presentation. He's talking about uh, me as his partner in the presentation, along with our other partner and uh, a woman in the audience on her phone, connects with me on LinkedIn. Um, so I get the request and 
accept it and then start digging a little bit deeper. Well, who is she and where is she from? And it turns out she's from my hometown. She's connected to my family and some some family friends. Okay, that's interesting. And then I start looking at her her work history and, you know, she works for uh, ad brand agency of some sort. And she's also chair of the board of a foundation in Huntsville. Oh, foundation. I run a nonprofit. Maybe there's an opportunity. So, you know, quick investigation, huh? This foundation's mission aligns quite closely with the mission of my nonprofit. So, you know, I reached out immediately. Hey, I want to talk more. Of course, I have no idea that she's just been sitting in the presentation for my partner. So she probably knows more more about me than I realize. But so we have a phone call on Friday to talk some more. So, you know, that's the kind of things you have to do to continue to build that network in ways that are going to benefit you and you know, then that network, you know, it, it has tendrils that go out that who else is she connected to that I might be interested in talking to. So LinkedIn is a great tool for organizing your contacts and keeping up with people. It isn't the end all be all for networking. Networking doesn't always start on LinkedIn and it doesn't always end on LinkedIn, but it's a great reference point and a great tool. And Tom has some great tips on how you can use LinkedIn to its fullest advantage. You know, you can you can search uh, your connections connections. If you're a first level connection, you can typically search their connections. So who else do they know that might be interesting to me? Uh, who else in that network uh, or even outside of those networks is in my industry? If I'm looking for a job and let, let's just use the obvious example. So I want to go work for Disney, right? Using LinkedIn to see out who else is connected to Disney that I might be able to connect with that might provide me some inside information or give me a chance to get my foot in the door is huge. You know, that's kind of how I use it the most, quite frankly, is not necessarily job seeking, but, you know, what else am I involved in? You know, I'm always trying to find other industrial designers, for example. You know, so who's working at the cool companies that I admire and have been following? Mm -hmm. Um, Am I following those companies on LinkedIn? Have an opinion. Start writing some short articles. You know, it's easy to to write a, a, a two or three paragraph LinkedIn article. Find something that you're interested in, you know, do a little investigation, form an opinion, put it out there, get other people to comment on it. We were running a conference back in October and we used LinkedIn extensively to, you know, promote. And, you know, we got this conference coming up. Here's some information about it. One like turns into a few hundred, which turns into a few thousand. Those, you know, can have dramatic impact. One of our camp students, uh, who I won't mention her name, uh, but she's got this goal of being 30 under 30. And so she asked one time, you know, what do I need to do? And, you know, one of the strategies that we gave her was to start writing, start having some ideas and start sharing some opinions around your industry, around your field and post those, whether that's on LinkedIn or Instagram or, you know, whatever, but start to be prolific in your thought leadership. Um, If you want to be a leader, you have to act like a leader. And, you know, she's getting lots and lots of likes. Lots of people are paying attention to her now. Yeah. And that's a tricky thing for students to learn that art of how do I kind of talk with leadership qualities, even though I'm not an expert in the field yet. I don't mm-hmm. have those leadership abilities, but I, I think a big part of it is just participating in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Starting to have an opinion and people start to listen. So, mm-hmm. and follow other leaders, right? Follow, you know, model what they're doing, mm-hmm. um, model that behavior. Uh, you know, leadership is oftentimes, you know, m- most of it's kind of the six inches between your ears. Um, you know, it's attitude, it's approaches, it's being human, you know, more than it is, a hard skill set, if you will. Right. There is a young female designer that lives in Florida that uh, asked me to uh, mentor her. 
and she's trying to sort of switch her uh, focus area for design. So she wants to go into medical design, and but she doesn't have any medical design experience. And so she's asking me a bunch of questions, you know, how do I start to do this? And so the first thing you do is build your network and you need to connect in your network with other medical design professionals. And so, of course, LinkedIn, you know, came into that conversation pretty quickly. But I said, the other thing is, you know, where she is in Florida, there's a bunch of universities. I said, there's tons of lectures, presentations that are all public. They're probably free. Start going. Go pay attention, listen to the lecture, and then go introduce yourself to the speaker. That speaker, just from the fact that they've been asked to come to that university and lecture, probably has an enormous network. And so if you can get tapped into that network, you know, you're better off. So that was step one is, um, you know, we set some goals with her. So, you know, two or three of these a month. The goal is go to the lecture, pay attention, get introduced to the speaker, start a conversation. Also, who else is in that audience that's also listening to that lecture? And who of those people, how do you get to know those people? So you got to not be afraid is the first step and walk up and stick your hand out and introduce yourself. And I'm interested in this field and you know I want to talk to you. Professionals, particularly design professionals, but I'm going to assume this for most professionals, we always talk about ourselves. Nobody's afraid to talk about themselves, right? So that's an easy entry. Tell me about you, right? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Where do you work? You know, what's your passions? I think that's that's probably the, the hardest thing for young professionals to do, but probably the easiest thing actually to do. If you can just get over yourself and go up and say hello. It's about, you know, having the guts to walk up to a stranger and say something. Yeah, and networking happens naturally in the classroom. Yeah. You know, two classmates connect and collaborate on a project in the classroom. Right. You wouldn't think of that as networking, but that is the fundamental of networking. It's just taking that same concept and now leaving the classroom with it, which is kind of a scary thing, but it's yeah. pretty, that, it's that simple. It comes down to that. You know, as a college professor, I've used that very tool myself. So, you know, I, as you can imagine, I see thousands of students in the classroom and some of those are going to be good contacts later. And I, I used to joke with my students that, uh, you know, I, I used to say that, you know, I, you know, I get 10% of your salary the first year. And, you know, laugh and yeah, right. And then I started saying, wait a minute, you don't make Jack the first year. I want 10% of the 10th year salary. And what that actually manifests into is that at about the 10 year mark is when I call them up and say, hey, let's do a project with with my students today. You know, you were a benefit of that project we did with XYZ company many years ago. You know how valuable that was for you. Now I want you to pay it back. Mm-hmm. And most of the sponsored projects that we do come that way from me reaching out to those people in my network that many of whom are students, former students. Yeah. And so that you're using your network as part of your role here at the, the mm-hmm. college. Like you, Absolutely. And that, that, that's another, you know, we try to stress the lifelong need for networking, but when you're a student, you think, Oh, this is how I get a job. Once I get a job, I don't need my network. But oh gosh. You've used your network in so many different ways. Absolutely. I, th- I think it's become more important for me um, in my career than in my job hunt, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I put on a conference in October. We had about, I don't know, 15 speakers, some of those pretty high powered. And it was it was my network that made that happen. So one of those is a guy named uh, Jay Rogers, who's the CEO of a company called Locomotors, um, headquartered in Knoxville, but offices kind of all over the U.S. They make an autonomous urban vehicle called Ollie, which is really cool. Look it up. It's it's pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, this is a guy that I admire and his company is really interesting and their product is very cool and cutting edge. And boy, I want him to come. He's got to have something really good to say. So I want him to come to my conference. I don't know Jay personally, or I didn't at that time. And so uh, one of my good friends in my network, a guy named Givok from uh, Detroit, a company called Sunberg Ferrar. I talked to Givok. I said, do you know this guy? Yes, I do. Givok's company works in the automotive industry. So there was a there was a fairly good chance he might know him or know somebody that knew him. 
will you make an introduction for me? And he said, I'll do better than that. I'll call him right now and I'll you know share your contact information with him and we'll get you two together. And the conversation that I had with Jay after that was really easy. Oh, you know, GVOC, that's fantastic. We love GVOC. He's this wonderful guy. You know, hey, I want you to come to this conference I'm putting on. It's really cool. Here's what it's about. Okay, I'm in. You know, I would have never been able to get to that guy had I just cold called. And, you know, th- that's the power that it has. I mean, you know, because I built this strong relationship with GVOC, GVOC's willing to extend some capital to help me out. Tom has now used his network to bring together conversation in the design field through Ether Global Learning and the summits he puts on in Tennessee. We were trying to, um, we were trying to build a conference that we wish we would have had particularly when we were students. So it was multi-generational to begin with, right? We didn't want just professionals there. We wanted students. We wanted teachers. We wanted, you know, all variety of from professionals down to even kids. We even had some, you know, fourth and fifth graders there. And so, you know, we were trying to find speakers that could speak to a multi-generational audience that would have something rather to say to a multi-generational audience. I've been on this quest for some time to surround myself with remarkable people, right? These are not just your average Uh, hustle and work hard people, but somehow they're making a difference and they're having an impact on others. And so I've been trying to find those people and and build my network in that manner. Um, So I wanted those kinds of people at this conference, right? And so uh, Jay Rogers from Local Motors, Bob Wheeler from Airstream, who we know quite well from working with uh, CCAD, Um, Ravi Sani from RKS out in California, Um, Jivok, my good friend from Detroit, Uh, Ken Tensner, who owns a company in Toronto called uh, Spiderworks, Frank Spencer uh, owns a company called Kedge and runs the Future School. Um, You know, these are remarkable people that really are, are leading the bleeding edge of technology and industry and thought leadership. Um, And then the other piece of that puzzle was we didn't want the come and sit in an auditorium or a conference room at a hotel or, and, and just sit there and listen, right? We wanted some back and forth, some feedback. And one of our advisors said to me, he said, I hate those conferences where I don't get a chance to have my opinions, you know, where I don't get to chime in. Um, So if you can build in that, that, opportunity to have the audience participate in what's being said. That'll make it so much more valuable. Turns out that's really hard to do. Um, we made a pretty good attempt at it. I think we'll improve the next time we do it. But, but you know, we had this really delightful thing. And then sort of surrounding that was thinking about the total experience. So again, I don't want to be at a hotel conference room. And in fact, uh, Jules Pieri, who is the CEO of the Gromit, which is a product launch platform, a really interesting, delightful woman, um, she said to me, you know, I'd, I hate going to those conferences where I sit in a hotel for a weekend and I don't get to see any of the city that I'm supposed to be visiting. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of corporate tourism came into this. So we built venues to have the conference at that were interesting. So the Tennessee Aquarium, which was a really cool place to, you know, Jules gave a lecture and then we did this walk around the aquarium progressive uh, dinner. We went to Chattanooga Whiskey on the, the last night. It was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, by the way. We went to Chattanooga Whiskey and tour the distillery. Um, and we had a band playing. It was, you know, a bit more social um, and got to sample all the whiskey. You know, just building those kinds of experiences around so that the participants in in the summit, we're not only there to hear and participate, but we're getting to experience, you know, some of this great city that we are holding the, the summit in. So. Yeah. And that's great for attendees because that's where networking happens. Absolutely. Listening to the band or doing the whiskey tasting and things like that. Absolutely. And there was a lot of that going on. So interestingly, we called it humanizing innovation which was this you know, fortuitous process to get to that name. But it started with this idea that design is the glue that binds. And 
through a series of brainstorming sessions and discussions, we ended up with humanizing innovation as the title. And so if you take the first two letters, it was hi, as in, you know, your name badge at every conference you go to. Hi, my name is. Mm -hmm. And so that became sort of this, you know, stupid but quite effective tool mm -hmm. to get everybody to network. Because yeah. all of our badges were, were built like those silly hello name tags, right? right. And um, it was brilliant. It, yeah. and, and John McKay, my partner, came up with that. Um, you mentioned the camps. So what were the camps about? So for the last six years now, we, we started running camps. And the first one was in 2013. And initially, it was a way for my two partners, John and Owen, to get their students out of the classroom and, and just start to do some things that they couldn't do in the classroom. And it, it's really the camp is really a vehicle for the soft skills. It's about leadership. It's about collaboration. It's about getting out of your, you know, your comfort zone, expanding your network certainly is part of that. We have 7,000 acres in Tuscumbia, Alabama, in the middle of nowhere, literally. Um, you know, you're sort of an hour or so west of uh, the birthplace of Elvis Presley, Tupelo, Mississippi, two hours or so south of Nashville. It's kind of in that northwest corner of Alabama, and there is nothing there. It, uh, technology does not work there. There is no cell signal on the property, or a very weak one anyway. Uh, and at the, at the beginning, anyway, the Wi-Fi access was kind of one dial-up point that got overwhelmed so quickly that you just it was pointless and so what that allowed was us to take technology out of the students hands so i should say that the campus for college students um, while it started with design students because we all come from design schools we now expanded that to business and engineering and social sciences and you know we really want everybody to come Taking technology out of their hands meant that they had to fi quickly figure out that they were much more powerful when they were a community than they were as an individual. So we put them in teams and we give them these crazy problems to solve and challenges. And some of those are mental and some of those are physical. And we sort of talk about them as you know, neck up and neck down. And there's kind of a combination of those. And then we bring in a bunch of professionals from our network that we call igniters. And we try to embed one of those professionals on each of the teams of students. And they work through these crazy challenges together. What's really cool about this is that the students now have this intimate access with this top-notch professional that they would only get to see if they went to an expensive conference and spent five or $800. Mm -hmm. And we're giving them that access for you know, a little over $200. We, uh, at the end of every day, uh, we have a big campfire and we ask one of those igniters to stand up and tell their story. And how did they get there or share some life lessons or some challenges that you had in your career or really talk about anything. All we ask is that you're open to let the students ask you questions. And sometimes those go on till one in the morning, you know, they're still talking. To me, that's really the magical part of, of shift camp is those moments with those professionals where you're getting that access that you wouldn't get otherwise. Some of these are folks like Paul Hatch, the CEO of Teams Design in Chicago. He came to our uh, camp uh, December of 2018 mm -hmm. that we did at NASA Space Camp, which was a pretty cool experience. Mm -hmm. um, and he told these wonderful stories and had just great things to share and just was humble and unassuming and accessible. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when he first got there, most of the students didn't know who the, who the guy was. You know, we all know him as, oh, he's Paul Hatch. He runs this pretty powerful and important consulting firm in Chicago. But he just came in and just started introducing himself as Paul and didn't say anything else, kind of on purpose. And about two days in, you start hearing the students whispering, hey, do you know who that guy is? <laughs> I thought, 
that's fantastic, right? Yeah. It's exactly what we wanted out of him. So yeah, it sounds like there's some great. Um, that's a great opportunity for the students that are there to to network as well, talking absolutely. About so with each other. so we we have about typically about twenty to twenty five different colleges represented. Most of those from the southeast because of its location, but we we take a bus down for, of CCAD students. We get them from Wisconsin, from uh, uh, Boston area. We have uh, one of our former colleagues that's the department chair at Iowa State, and so he sends a bunch of students. Iowa is about the furthest west we've gone. In fact, one of our aspirations is to do a, a camp in the west somewhere so we can get to those schools out west uh, and to do one in the northeast. In 2017, we did our first international camps. We went to Wales. Uh, so through our network, uh, there's a guy there that had access to about 20 acres uh, in the Wales countryside. The, each of them have a theme. So it turns out that the Royal SAS trains in these mountains there. And so it was all a kind of a search and rescue sort of theme. And um, you know, it's the crazy challenges, uh, but the landscape is gorgeous. And is that is there a theme? Each camp is like there is. Okay. So e each camp we have a different theme. We call them. We we try to make them kind of hyper local. In other words, what's something in the local area that we can latch onto and build a theme around? So in Tuscumbia, for example, uh, it's very close to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, which is the home of Fame Studios. So if you're a music aficionado, you know that from the you know, early 60s through the early 80s, every artist recorded at Fame Studios. So Rolling Stones, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, every country musician, um, you know, just everybody played there. And so it has this rich heritage and history. So we built this theme around music. One of the final challenges with students was basically to go into woods and make instruments with things that they found. Uh, and it is a farm. So there's some other piles of materials and stuff around that they can have access to. So I had to make these homemade instruments. And they had to play a song. The song was Family Tradition, which was recorded at Fame Studios. There's a local guy there named Bob Ray. And so we've gotten to know Bob Ray uh, through my partner's family. Um, Bob Ray was the studio basis for Fame Studios during most of that time. And so he played with all of those musicians. So as the students are up on stage making fools of themselves and having a good time, um, you know, sort of skit night, and they're trying to play this song with their homemade instruments, he's sitting in the audience laughing and watching them. And then when they're finished, he stands up on stage and plays the song the way it's supposed to be. And what was really cool about that is at the end of the night, it ended with all of the students on stage with this now guy they know well, this mm -hmm. famous musician, Bob Ray, playing music in this giant jam session, laughing and having a good time. And our igniters up there with them dancing and singing. It, it was just great fun. Um, so we built them around music. We built them around Native American heritage. We built them around storytelling. We did one that was around sort of universal design. And, and really the, the theme, and none of that's important. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is merely the vehicle to get them to understand that it's about building their community and their network. It's about access to these professionals. It's about learning when they're having fun and don't really realize they're learning. It's really sort of filling that gap of soft skills between college and employment. So leadership, collaboration, cultural awareness, you know, those kinds of things. And this is Shift Camp? Yeah, it's called Shift Camp. It's one of our platforms. We also do labs where we're sort of teaching our methodologies to, you know, corporate America, if you will. And then ultimately, we're going to launch uh, what we call fellowship, which is post-undergraduate, truly filling that gap between college and employment. So that's coming. So we, we have this new tagline we're using that I really love. 
uh, that my partner Owen came up with, which is it's not about making a better world for people. It's about making better people for the world. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. That really resonates with what we're trying to do. And I think organizations like you're talking about are looking at those same kind of things. You know, we're talking to lots of employers, both in my capacity as running this nonprofit, but also you know, here at the college, you know, we talked to lots of employers. They're all saying the same thing, which is that's what's missing, that, you know, they can go to any school and find talent. But what they're having a hard time finding is that talented employee that's also able to understand the business, that's able to network within the business, that's able to collaborate within the business. You know, those are the things that are missing kind of in the college curriculum. And the college curriculum is crammed, right? I mean, you know, we're limited to 120 credits. We teach 10 times more content than I got as an undergrad. And there's just no room left to fill that those gaps. And, you know, there's a whole host of reasons we don't have to go into. But, you know, they, there's there's something missing in the marketplace. So I think we're trying to fill that. Mm -hmm. And I think another important thing to emphasize is you're, you're a great example of this. You use your network for things you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. You know, putting together these projects is clearly something that you're very invested in. Uh, and I, I think that's the secret ingredient of why your network works so well, because you're not trying to force it as a means to an end. Yeah. And that's also something that's hard to describe to students as you need to network, but don't rely on it. Right. But it will benefit you. Right. But you can't construct it in a way that will give you the outcome you're looking for. It's going to give you outcomes that you'll want and that you're passionate about because right. that's what you're putting into it. But it, yeah, it's not something where you can like, it's not house of cards where you're like, I need to manipulate this right. person into letting me do this so that right. I can do that. It's not a chess game. No. Yeah. And I, I think you're hitting on something there that you have to go about it genuinely right? It, it isn't a house of cards. If you try to use it that way, it's going to backfire on you. And there's lots of stories about how that's happened. You know, I think that the other way I try to look at it is that it's, it's a long game. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so, you know, the network connections I might be making this week or next week may not pay off for some time, may never pay off, but you know, it, it is about that. How am I massaging that network to help fuel my passions? How are you curating? Curating. I like network. that word much yeah. better, Jordan. Curating. It's better in art school. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, this is great. Thanks a lot for, for sitting down and yeah, talking to pleasure. us about things you've been working on and, and how your network has been a big help in that. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. At this point in each episode, I ideally like to give some pointed, specific advice on action steps you can take to utilize the information you just heard. But... This time, I'm going to pump the brakes on that. This is hard to organize into specific action steps that apply universally. Using your network is about showing some leadership to take the initiative and engage the professionals within your reach that you are genu genuinely interested in. And that means that engagement will look different for each individual. As with all aspects of your job search, that might mean it would be a good time to check in with someone before you start doing this. Like, myself, a career advisor, or some other kind of mentor in your life. They can help you navigate specific situations in a way that is best for you, but let the lesson from this episode be as follows. Spend time building a network and then harvest that network by continually engaging with them. A network isn't a means to an end. Don't just use it to find a job. Use it to grow as a professional and it will continue to pay dividends for your entire career. Okay, that is our episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you still haven't, go ahead and subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Facebook.com slash First You Hustle are all places to find us and follow us. You'll get our new episodes currently being released once every two weeks during the semester. Then you'll also be able to go back and see all our past episodes. This is episode 23. If you haven't caught up, go listen to one through 22. Each one is a little different. And lastly, a programming note, 
If you find yourself driving in the Columbus area on Monday nights at 7 p.m., we have started airing past episodes on WCRS LP FM, which you can find at 92.7 and 98.3 on the FM dial. If you are outside the broadcast area, listen in at WCRSFM.org. Thanks for tuning in. Our theme is Jimmy H. Boogaloo by the Juanitos Creative Commons License from the Free Music Archive. May it rest in peace.